We're talking about in this month, the series is called Invest. And how many guys know that there are some areas, some key areas in our lives that we should be investing in? And oftentimes those areas of our life kind of get put to the side and we don't necessarily prioritize the most important things in our life. How many guys wouldn't say that's oftentimes that's true, right? So in the Invest series, uh, we want to talk about some key areas that we need to be investing in. Um, and so we are excited. We're going to jump straight into it. Take out your notes that hopefully got on the way in the door and we want to go straight into that and we're going to start in Proverbs 24, 6. So uh, Proverbs 24, 6 says this. This is kind of our theme verse uh, for the whole series. So uh, it says, For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in an abundance of counselors there is victory. How many guys will acknowledge that there are some areas in our lives that we need to get victory in that maybe we have not been victorious in so far? How many guys are with me on that? Right, so it says, For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in an abundance of counselors there is victory. And, and what's key here is that uh, we need to gain victory. So what we hope to do through this series uh, is be uh, the abundance of counselors. So me and pastor hope to be the counselors. We want to bring a few things to your attention, some ways that we can invest better into some key areas. And then through that guidance, we can become victorious in areas that maybe we have not been victorious in thus far. All right, guys. So let's jump straight into what we have today. Today, we want to talk about characteristics of a godly family, characteristics of a godly family family. And how many guys uh, will acknowledge with me that each one of us, our families, whether it's our marriages, whether it's how we raise our children, we can get better at what we're doing. Amen. So come on, somebody. Y'all don't be asleep out there. We, how many of you guys got some areas saying, hey, I got some areas I need to clean up in my house. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So we want to talk about the characteristics of a godly family, because what we hope to do through just like what we talked about here in Proverbs 24, is we hope to introduce these things that can make us better, and let's start creating change so that we can see godly characteristics taking over our family. All right, guys. And so the first thing that we want to talk to you about and a characteristic of a godly family is that in a godly family, we establish affirmation. We establish affirmation. And this is huge because in establishing affirmation, we have to step in as sometimes as, or all the time as parents, but we have to step in and start to give affirmation in our families. We have to affirm our families. And, and we're going to talk quite a bit about marriages today. We're going to talk some about children today. And maybe you're single with no kids. Well, then guess what? You got something to look forward to. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you married folks are like, yeah, you got something to look forward to. All right. <laughs> you got something to look forward to, right? And here's what, I, here's what I actually, whenever we get a chance to talk about marriages or we get a chance to talk about children or families, people that aren't uh, married yet or don't have kids, they tend to think that they're left out of that sermon. It's actually the opposite. You get to start your relationships and your families on healthy foundations, whereas some of us may not have had that opportunity. You know what I'm saying? So, man, take what we give you today and apply it to your life. But we establish affirmation. Why is this so important? Um, there is a huge demographic. One, demographic. one of the biggest things that we're running into in society today, um, it's a problem. And we were actually talking as a staff, trying to come up, what is the solution? So we were all putting our heads together recently about the thing that we want to focus on for 2018. And one of the topics that came out of it was this idea of fatherlessness. Homes that lack true fathers. And that is such an epidemic right now in our country is that homes don't have fathers. That's why we have 30-year-old grown men playing professional sports and acting like children. 
is because they have not had a father in their life, or they, they haven't had someone to encourage or to guide them through life. And, and one of the first things that we have to understand is that number one, mothers can't be fathers. Like mothers cannot be fathers because mothers can't affirm children. Mothers can love their children. Mothers can show unconditional love to their children. Mothers can step in and do all those things, but they can't affirm their children. Fathers have to affirm their children. And so the lack of affirmation has caused children to grow into adults with an identity crisis and not knowing who they are. And that is the problem. Why? That is the reason why we see a number of problems we see today. And even going down into the root, man, working in student ministry for eight years, it got to where I could identify, I could tell you if, that, if a young person had a father in the home without even talking to them. Strictly by how they carried themselves, strictly by how they had conversations with people around them, a lack of fathers caused them to go through a number of things. And let's look at um, what, what I believe to be one of the greatest examples, because God, and some of you, if you read through the Bible, you'll notice that God oftentimes did really interesting, he had really interesting ways of laying out roadmaps for how we should father or how we should parent or how we should lead our families well. He did roadmaps by showing us certain things, and I want to show you one of them, Matthew 3, uh, real quick, Matthew 3, 16 and 17. This is Jesus getting baptized. Now, just to kind of lay the groundwork for this, what happens is Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to be baptized. And in Jesus preparing to get baptized, God did something very strategic at Jesus' baptism. So let's check it out. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. And what was happening here is God knew ahead of time that Jesus was about to encounter some controversy. He was about to encounter some attacks. He was about to go through some struggles. And so before Jesus was going to encounter those things, God was gonna lay the framework and the foundation for affirmation before the attack took place. And how much better would many of us be as young adults and how much better decisions would our teenagers be making if fathers had laid the framework for affirmation before we got put in positions to make adult decisions? Is that we have to understand how affirmation matters. So what happens here? What is affirmation? We wanna give you three things, and this isn't all of affirmation, but these are three things that when we look at affirmation, Affirmation has to include all three of these no matter what, right? The first one is identification. Identification. And here's one thing that I want to encourage you in identification. Let's say you're married right now. And one of the things that I recognized early on in my marriage based on just based on the Bible and what the Lord was leading me is that my wife, my wife grew up in a home where her father was present. Um, and so he affirmed her through her childhood, but when she married me, the Bible says that they're gonna, she's gonna leave her home as well. She's gonna leave her father as mother as well. And so we're gonna become one. <clears throat> and so now it is my job as a husband to affirm my wife as the replacement for what her father affirmed in her when she was a child. So it's my job to step in and the first thing that I'm gonna do is identify her. And what am I doing when I'm, when I'm identifying her? I'm giving value and presenting value into her life based on who she is, not what she does. Y'all quiet in here today. 
who she is, not what she does. In other words, her value is dictated by who she is and her value is dictated by whose she is. And so it oftentimes in our marriage, I will send a note to my wife and reassure her that she is a child of God, that she is a daughter of the King who is Jesus Christ, that she is valuable, that when the God looks at her, he sees a prize. And when I look at her, I see a prize, that she is everything and she is all things to God and that God loves her and that I love her and I'm identifying in her not the things that she does well. I'm not identifying the things that she does for me necessarily. I'm strictly identifying in her who she is and her value that is dictated by what God has already established in her life. So the first thing we do is identify. The second thing we have to do is we have to show affection. Affection. And this is huge because uh, I know For example, uh, my grandfather growing up, so pastor's father uh, growing up, he was a hardworking guy. Any guys that got grandfathers or fathers that were just like, they just worked themselves all the time. You know what I'm talking about? They just hard, like hard workers. And so my grandfather, I think think he worked 37 years at a factory and 27 of those 37 years, he never had a day off. Like talk about a lost trait in our generation. You know what I'm saying? Like we just bounced him from job to job for five extra cents an hour. Anyway, but like he was, but he wasn't great at affection. My dad tells me all the time that my grandfather wasn't great at affection. He tried to show how much he loved them by how hard he worked. The problem is that is a flawed understanding of affection. And so we have fathers today who don't know how to show love and affection to their spouse or to their children because their father never showed affection to them. But in the process of affirming each other, when we, when we look back to Matthew 3 and we see Jesus getting baptized, so what does God do first? He says, this is my son. He identified him. And then he said, with whom I love. He showed him affection. And then number three, the third thing you have to have when you're talking about affirmation is that you have to have encouragement. It requires encouragement, that we have to encourage those that we love. We have to encourage what's happening. We have to encourage the the wife that we're married to. We have to encourage, ladies, you gotta encourage your husbands. Don't encourage them to clean the house, just encourage them in general, you know what I'm saying? We have to encourage our, well, we don't have to encourage our husbands. You encourage your husbands. We have to encourage our wives, but then we have to encourage our children. But we have to create healthy atmospheres of affirmation so that our families are being led well. And we're stirring up a culture and we're stirring up an environment where people understand who they are because they're identified. They understand that they are loved because of their affection. And then they understand that we are channeling them and encouraging them and helping them and showing them the areas they could get better, but encouraging them in the areas that they're doing well. Why? All of that matters because oftentimes what fathers try to do is they come in and they try to create correction without affection. They try to discipline without identification and that never goes well. The other thing that doesn't work well is when the mother tries to do it outside of the father because affirmation doesn't work within the context of a mother only. Now, for some of you sitting out there and saying, man, I got a kid and my, the father ain't, he's not here. We'll say it nicely, right? <laughs> so he's not here. Let me tell you this. You need to be seeking out and plugging your child into ministries where spiritual fathers can take root in those children's lives. 
The, the natural father, the earthly father may not be present, but you need to be plugging them. In our student ministry, we have amazing student leaders where we have men, uh, young men that are ready to become spiritual fathers to your teenagers, right? We, we are prepared. Why? Because that matters because we have to create affirmation with identification, affection, and encouragement so that they understand where their value comes from, belonging to God, but then they can walk out the next steps and know what that looks like, knowing that they're loved with affection and they're being processed with encouragement. That's huge. So we have to build homes of affirmation. You guys with me today? Next, number two, the next thing we have to do is we have to destroy dysfunction. We have to destroy dysfunction. Some of y'all out there like, hey, there we go. That's more like my family right there. (laughs) We got some dysfunction going on at this house. No. And it was so, uh, it was interesting. So a group of us went out to eat the other day. And so there was about uh, seven or eight of us. We're all sitting at a table and so we're sitting there. You guys know how some of the restaurants still have like a wall that is a partition between your section and another section, but it doesn't go all the way to the ceiling. Y'all know what I'm talking about? So we were sitting at a booth and we're sitting there and man, I was, there was this baby on the other side of the wall and the baby was just screaming her head off, like screaming her, like scream. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like it wasn't just like, ah, no, like, like, I don't know what they were doing to this child, but it was bad. Like, so child is screaming and I'm like, man, what is going on? You know? Um, and it was one of those things where at some point I kind of peeked over the wall. You know what I'm talking about? Like peeking, like you try to side eye them. So they understand like, Hey, no one else, we can't even have a conversation. Like, cause you, so I kind of peeked over the wall, hoping she'd be like, Oh yeah, my baby's like, so I was like, you know, you know, um, and I looked over and the mom was holding the baby, baby's screaming. And the mom was having a conversation with someone on the other side of the table. Like it, like nothing was even happening. Like this baby's not sitting here screaming. I'm like, people on the other side, people at the restaurant next door know this baby's screaming. Like, how do you not know? And one of the things that, man, the Lord just dropped in my heart right there is that some people have become so used to dysfunction that it has become normal. Now, let me also say this, because I think it's important, particularly in our context as a church, to understand that sometimes there is things going on with children that you can't help. Sometimes you have kids that are dealing with autism or special needs. My son went through a stretch where because of his seizures that we didn't even know were happening at the time, he was screaming a lot, right? So let me also say this isn't a 100% blanket statement when I'm saying this. Sometimes it's not necessarily dysfunction. But in this particular case, how many guys know that a lot of our families have accepted dysfunction as normality. And so we just allow this to run rampant in our lives and we have to address and we have to destroy the dysfunctional portions of the things that are happening in our families and that are happening in our lives. Um, One of the ways that we see this, it's huge, is in Joshua 24. So in Joshua 24, one of the things that's happening is is, uh, the Israelites have come out of Egypt. So Joshua's coming in, he's approaching them, he's talking to them about what's going on in their lives. So, uh, and what has happened is a lot of them brought with them false gods out of their land and kept them with them. But because the Lord had brought them out of where they were from, they accept the fact that God is God, but in their closets, they were building shrines and they were building small temples and they were building small altars to acknowledge other gods. So that's what's happening here. I want you to check it out. Now, therefore, this is Joshua talking to them. It says, now, there, now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. 
Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Then he says, if it, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And one of the things that's happening here is that Joshua's coming to them. And so they've got like secret gods, secret areas that they're, that they're serving. And so in, oftentimes in their closets, they would have things that they were serving in addition to God. And I think that that translates to us because there are a number of us who serve the Lord, who love the Lord, who love what the Lord, they love, we love what the Lord has done for us. But in our closets are areas of our life that we've yet to surrender to God. So we've yet to surrender. And some of those things we haven't even chose to hold on to necessarily. We don't even realize that they're there. In other words, we've got, for example, fathers. We've got fathers who can't become good fathers because their father was never good to them. And so how they process fatherhood is totally distorted because they've got this thing in their closet that they've yet to clean out and they don't know how to be a good father because they never had a good father. Or we've got marriages that are broken because all they ever saw was broken marriages and so they've yet to clean out the closet so that they can recognize what a good marriage could look. They've yet to let God take control of their marriage. I was listening to a podcast the other day, um, and the, the guy doing the podcast, hosting the podcast, was interviewing another guy. And this guy uh, had just wrote a book called Killing the Spider. And I thought, that's an interesting topic for a book. You know what I mean? Because if any spider's in my house, I'm killing that thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I can't find it, we're just going to have to burn the whole house down, I guess. I don't know what we're doing. But I remember me and Ashley had just been married. We, we had just been married for, I think, months. And we had found a spider in our room. And like, it was, the, I'm terrified of spiders, by the way. Like, don't come around me with snakes or spiders because I'll, I'll kick you. Anyway, so, but, <laughs> so there was a spider and it went under our bed. And it was that moment, it was like 1130 at night, I think. And it was like that moment, like we were getting ready for bed. But now there's a spider in the room. So are we going to go to bed? Of course not, right? So, um, <clears throat> and so we started getting everything, like we're, we're trying to like get stuff out from under the bed so we can find it. We finally find it. And it's like, uh, I'm not a small dude in case y'all didn't pick that up just yet. Like I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a bigger guy. And so I'm trying to like crawl under our bed. That ain't working, you know? So, um, and so finally I see the spider and it's like, it's like a good way. I can't get to it. I'm got like a broom. I don't remember. I think Ashley had like a shoe. Like we're trying, we want this spider gone, you know? And, um, and so finally I like, I turned the broom around to where like the pole was sticking out and I like javelin through that broom handle at that spider under our bed. And I did kill it with one swift throw of the broom hand. Anyway, so yeah, absolutely. Hey, that was, I was so proud of myself in that moment. I was like, bro, I could never do that again if I tried. Anyway, so but yeah, yeah, absolutely. But all that to say, right, that we need to find areas of our life that we need to be cleaning out. Like there needs to be areas of our life that we're getting rid of things that we've been holding onto for far too long. And sometimes we use it as an excuse, but sometimes we don't even realize it's a problem. And one of the things that the guy that was writing the book called Killing the Spider, he said, in our lives, we all have spiders and the spiders represent things that we know we need to kill and get rid of. He said, the problem is oftentimes we realize the spider's there, but instead of killing it, we just become content with cleaning out the spider webs. In other words, we become content cleaning out the problems, but we have never actually get rid of the root of the problem. 
And man, we have to become better at leading our family. And, uh, and, and so those things are huge in talking about destroying dysfunction. Let's go to the next one. Uh, third is that we, as families, we need to love unconditionally. We need to love unconditionally. Like we don't need to have conditions on our love for one another. And I know this is a phrase that like everyone's like, yeah, yeah, that makes total sense. But how often in our marriages or how often with our relationships with our children or how often with our relationships with each other is our love actually more conditional than unconditional? In other words, I don't feel like dealing with you right now because you haven't done this. Uh, my wife, my, I love my wife. She's beautiful. Anyway, I love my wife. And one of the things, she has this sign next to the sink uh, in our house and the sign says, I love hugs and I love kisses, but what I really want is help with the dishes. <laughs> so, and, and so there's two areas, there's two things at the house that I hate, man, like I cannot stand. That's doing dishes and laundry, right? Like I think the reason why the Lord won't let me win the lottery is because he knows that I would literally buy clothes, wear them, and then give them away and buy more clothes just so I don't have to like do laundry. So I cannot stand doing laundry and I cannot stand doing the dishes, right? So, um, and, and so one of the things that I try to do is I try, in the, in the past little bit, I've tried to go out of my way to show love to my wife because here's one of the things that, it, here's one of the things we have to understand in loving unconditionally is we have to understand how each other needs to be loved. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, I think for men, it's easy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, like a sandwich is good. And then like, some quiet time after work while I watch TV. Like, we don't need a lot, you know what I'm saying? But ladies, ladies. If y'all could give us some consistency across the board, that would be great. You know, like, we could sit down as a group of men and be like, hey, you know, I did this for my wife, man, and it really helped. But I could come home and try to do that for my wife, and it don't mean nothing, because my wife ain't nothing like that person's wife. Like, ladies, we need some consistency between all y'all. Y'all need to have a meeting or something so that we can, like, we can get better at it. <laughs> so, all the husbands are like, yeah, brother, please. Can't even write a book on how to be a better husband to your wife, because every wife is different. Anyways, I'm just kidding. So, but one of the things I've tried to do is, is to go out of my way to show my wife love by doing some of the things that she doesn't particularly care to do. And even though I hate doing them, I've gone out of my way to try to do them to show her how much I love her. And uh, so I'll, I'll be doing the dishes and she'll come around the corner and she'll say, babe, you don't have to do those. Like, I'll do them later. And I'm like, no, I do have to do these. Because I need to show you that even though I don't particularly care to do this, I value, and I value you enough to do it for you. In other words, I'm going to go out of my way to show you that I love you. And those are small ways that we try to do that. Now, me, on the other hand, boy, let me tell you. So one of the other things that I can't stand, um, I, I, I tend to get, how many of you guys um, in your house, you got that closet or that room that is like, oh, no, company's coming over Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, <laughs> you know, there's, there's two things that every house has. It's either that closet or that bedroom, and it's that chair that all the clothes that aren't quite dirty enough yet, but are dirty enough that you're not going to wear it right now, get laid on, right? So y'all know what I'm talking about? Anyway, so, so we got ready to put new floors down in our house recently, right? And so when we were putting new floors down in our house, one of the things that we had to do was we had to clean all the rooms out, right? Well, 
we had some help cleaning all the rooms out. But anyways, we cleaned all the, all the rooms. And I, like, I, was, I could not fathom the amount of stuff that was in these bedrooms. Like, y'all know what I'm talking about? And so, Tony knows what I'm talking about. So, uh, man, so I could not fathom it. And so we started cleaning it all out. But one of the things that I have a hard time with is when I, if I get overwhelmed, I shut down. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, and so if I walk into a room that is completely like just chaos, I start to walk in circles and become like so unproductive. So I'm just like walking like, like I can't, I can't do anything. Like anxiety sets in. I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't, I can't. But one of the things, so I, so I do these things to go out of my way for my wife to try to show her how much I love her. But then uh, my wife, Ashley, she'll see that and she'll recognize when I go into this shutdown mode of like terror because of the chaos. And she's like, stop, get out. <laughs> and she's like, I'll take care of it. Go somewhere else other than here right now. Because she's, she's like, you're getting on my nerves, right? So, and I think that's a healthy relationship where you can say that. You know, so she's like, you need to go somewhere else. I can't deal with this right now. So I'll take care of this. You can go, why? Because she sees like, hey man, like I've reached my limit. And so we look for ways to go out of our way to love each other, even in small signs. So we do small things to show each other how much we love each other. I think 1 Corinthians 13 does a great job talking about love. Obviously, it's a love chapter, but it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And, and uh, particularly for those of us that have been saved for a long time or, or maybe like you're, you're a small group leader or you're a pastor, let me tell you something. You can talk about Jesus all day long, but if you're not showing your spouse love, husbands or wives or parents to children, like they're going to see through that nonsense and all you sound like is a noisy gong or a noisy, noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Because we have to show love to one another more than we speak words with our mouth. And so we can speak in the tongues of men. We can have wisdom and knowledge. Or we can speak spiritual, biblical truth. But if we're not showing love to one another, none of it really matters. So we're going to jump down to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Um, because it says something that's really powerful too. 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 4 through 8 says, Love is patient and kind. Patient. Ladies, patient. If we said we're going to fix it, we will. You don't have to keep reminding us every six months. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, love, love is patient and kind. <clears throat> love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable, uh, irritable or resentful. And I think, I think this is huge right here, resentful, um, because... In marriages, things go wrong. Listen, you put two of me in one house, we're going to have problems. You put any two people in the house, you're not always going to agree on everything. But we have to pick times to not be resentful over things that we've disagreed on. Um, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It goes on to say that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Uh, we've talked about this before. It's so funny. My wife... Um, Ashley, how many guys uh, in your relationship, are you the person that's like, if you get into like altercation, you're like, no, we're not gonna talk about this right now. I'm gonna walk away and we'll come back and talk about this later. How many of y'all know that don't ever work, right? Why? Because there's the other person in the relationship, which is the, no, we're gonna talk about this right now. That's my wife. So I'm the one 
that's like, no, we're not gonna talk about this right now. Like, I'm gonna walk away. Well, you know, if, thing, if we ever get into like a, an argument or whatever, I'm like, we're not gonna talk about this right now, I'm gonna walk away. Now my wife, all five foot two, blonde hair, blue eyed version of herself, is just like, no, we're gonna talk and she's not following me around the house. So, but man, we, we have to understand that love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. Man, marriage isn't always gonna be easy. Raising kids is rarely ever easy. Yeah, okay. You know, parents, some of y'all parents nudging them kids again. Look, talking to you right now. Like, man, it, relationships, period, aren't always easy because relationships require other people. Some of y'all are like, I wish I could just be by myself. No, that's the last thing you need. Some of y'all negative Nancys. Y'all don't need to be by yourself. But some of us just want to do that. We need relationships in our life. Relationships are so important. But we have to take care of our relationships. And, and one of the ways that we do that is loving unconditionally. But today we're talking about characteristics of a godly home. And this last one, it, we, we can't do without. This last one is that we pursue Christ passionately. We pursue Christ passionately. Here's one of the things that I know. One of the things that I know is you can try your hardest to be a better husband, to be a better father. Ladies, you can try your hardest to be a better mother, to be a better wife. All of us could try our hardest to be great friends, but oftentimes we'll fail at that because we don't have it all together yet. We still have problems. What I know is that when we try to become more like Christ, we instantly become better husbands and better fathers. Ladies, when you try your hardest to model the grace and the humility of Jesus, you become better wives and better mothers. You love your children better when you look the most like Jesus. Husbands, you take care of your wives the best when you exemplify Christ. You're not trying to get your own way. This isn't, marriage is not your way of trying to get the things that you want the most. Marriage should be your opportunity to give the most, to take care of this person that God has entrusted to you. And inevitably that means that sometimes we have to let go of the things that we want the most or the things that we want so badly, but God has entrusted each one of us with a prize. And men, that is your wives and your children. Uh, ladies, that is your husbands and your children. And for all of us, that is the friends that we surround ourselves with. And in those relationships, we need to pursue Christ passionately. Why? So that we can exemplify Christ the best. We need to be showing Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says this. It says that uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That means that you need to be letting go of all these things. When he says, I have been crucified with Christ, I have let go of my sinful past, I've let go of my own way, and I am pursuing what God wants for me. And what does God want for you? God wants for you to look more and more like Jesus every day so that you can show the glory of Christ in your relationships. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I have been crucified with Christ. I'm now a follower of Jesus. 
And so what we wanna encourage you with today is this, that we need to become better at having godly families, which inevitably is gonna mean all of those things that we talked about today. But here's the one thing that I wanna encourage you with above anything else, and that is that you show Jesus through yourself. Men, it is up to you to lead your homes well. It is up to you to lead your wife to Jesus as the solution for everything. Ladies, it is up to you as wives to submit to your husbands as he leads like Christ, fellas. We like to pick out that like, ladies, submit to your husbands. But we don't often like to talk about how husbands are supposed to love the wives so much that they would lay themselves down for her. And so we love each other like that. We exemplify Jesus. We show Christ in our marriages. We show Christ in our families. And we exemplify the glory of God in our relationships with each other. The identification, the model that God used to show the world what Jesus looked like was the church and the home. You wanna see unsaved family members come to Christ? Let your house look so much like Jesus is in it. You wanna see unsaved friends coming to Jesus? Let your house look so much like Jesus is in it. Love your family well. I wanna pray for you today. This is a, a different message. When we start talking to families, inevitably we run into the, oh, that's not really me or that's not really me conversation. Let me tell you something, this is for all of us because we all need to show Jesus better within ourselves and we can all become more like him. And so I wanna pray for you. Dear Jesus, I just pray right now for every person that maybe they're watching on live stream, you're sitting in this room that can hear my voice. God, I just declare right now, Father, that you would draw us close to you. God, that you would stir up in our hearts a passion and a desire to know you well, God, and that we would become more like Christ each day and that becoming more like Christ becomes reflected in our relationships with each other, that becoming more like Christ becomes reflected in how we're raising our children and how we're treating our spouses and how we're having relationships with other people, God, that in everything, our friendships, our marriages, our homes, God, that we would reflect Jesus in an amazing way. God, I pray that you stir up inside of each one of us a genuine desire, God, to become more like Christ so that all things can be reflected, that we can see you take control of our life. God, I pray that marriages become better. God, I just declare right now that if there are marriages that are watching this, that are sitting in this room and those marriages are on the rocks, or that those marriages are almost coming apart, that I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you come in and you create a divine intervention in that relationship. Husbands exemplify Jesus and wives love like Jesus. We thank you for it, God. If you're sitting in this room right now and maybe you're here and, and, and you don't know Jesus. See, the, the trick to this whole thing, the, the kind of the catch to all this is that to exemplify Christ, you have to know him. And if you're sitting in this room and you say, Pastor, I, I know about Jesus and I'm not a bad person, but I'm not saved. I need Jesus to take control of my life. I'm not saved, but I wanna know that if I die today, I'm going to heaven. I need to give my heart to Christ. Not just religious obligations of going to church, but I need to be saved today. 
And if you're in this place today and you want Jesus to take control of your life, you wanna surrender to him and you wanna make him the ruler of your life. With all heads bowed and everyone's eyes closed in this place, I'm not gonna come to you. I'm not gonna point you out. I'm not gonna embarrass you. But if you say today, I want Jesus to take control of my life, would you just lift your hand up right now? God bless you. God bless you. Jesus, I want Jesus to take control of my life. God bless you. Hands are going. I want you to put it up. You can put it down. I want Jesus to take control of my life. 2,000 years ago, Jesus went to the cross. When he went to the cross, he died a perfect man. And the reason he did that was because he knew that the world was going to have sin in it that I have sin in my life, that you have sin in your life. But he wanted us to spend eternity with him. So Jesus went to the cross and when he died on the cross, he paid the price for your sins that you couldn't pay for for yourself. The beauty of the gospel is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his son, that all you have to do is believe in him and you can be saved. So if you want to be saved today, we, all you have to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. But here's the challenge I have for you. We're going to pray a prayer together. And this prayer doesn't make you saved. Your faith in Christ alone is what makes you saved. But we want to pray this prayer together, making a public proclamation that if you raise your hand today, you're putting your faith in Christ and that you're going to follow him with everything that you have. And the whole church is going to pray it with you. So you're not going to be praying by yourself. So church, let's pray this together with our brothers and sisters who raised their hand. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me my wrongs. Make me clean. Make me pure, make me whole. I believe that you died on the cross and that you resurrected three days later. Through your life, through your death, through your resurrection, I can be saved. I believe in you. I wanna follow you the rest of my life. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church, put your hands together for all those that prayed that. Perhaps for the very first time, and we celebrate with you.